Welcome everyone to another episode of Rant and Grow. This is Tulio Sergusa and I have a good friend of mine as a guest today, Jamie Green. Jamie was very instrumental 12, 12 years ago in introducing me to a men's organization that has been a big part of why I am a life coach today. So I want to thank Jamie for, uh, and we're going to talk about that today, because uh, he is an expert at this, and I'll never forget uh, you saying to me, I was going through a hard time, you saying to me, you want to know where I get my juice? And I was like, yes, yes, please. And invited me to an event without giving me any details, and I showed up and was blown away. Jamie, please introduce yourself, tell the audience who you are. Thanks, brother. Uh, I'm Jamie Green. I am um, many things. So I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years. I've been a life coach myself. Uh, I call it mentoring, actually, for the last, going on 11 of the 30 years. Um, I had a private practice for, whatever it was, 20 of those years um, in Encino as a marriage family child therapist. Um, well, I came from England, as you can tell. I'm terribly English. I came out uh, to LA in 1983, went to Pepperdine, had a degree in sports medicine, undergrad, and then um, was technically supposed to go back to England and fell in love with a crackhead, basically, a little freebase problem she had in the 80s. Uh, and it completely, uh, I, I wasn't involved in that. I just got very into codependency, which was booming in 1986. Um, and through that experience, wanted to figure out what the hell happened to me. So I, I went on to study alcohol, drug counseling, and, and I kind of fell into becoming a therapist by buying time to try to figure out what the hell was going on, getting student visas. And here we are. Here we are. 37 years later, something crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jamie, I like to start each podcast with a quick check-in, cool. something you're very familiar with. Yep. On a scale of 1 to 10. Yep. Hi, where's your state of mind right uh, now? I'm an 8.5. 8.5? tired 8.5, yeah. Great. I'm checking in as a 10. Of course. Only because I get to talk to you Dude, and you it's got, an awesome you got a host, day. Man. you got you to do this thing. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. All right, so one quick question. Yep. If you could go back in time yep. and change one silly thing you did, what would that be? Uh, okay. Silly thing. Yeah, something silly. Doesn't I, have to I, be serious. Yeah, I don't know if it's well. Only something. Something major comes up. Actually, I don't. I don't do very many silly things. But one of the big things, I don't think I told my dad enough how much I love him, and that. So it's not a silly thing. It's a big thing. My dad passed away almost three years ago. It'll be three years in May, and I think being terribly British, we, it was a very clear love between us. It was very understood. There was a lot of cuddling. There was a lot, but it was very British. Not I love you. I love you. I love you. It was maybe written in some cards. But I think that's something I would have done more. I have that same regret. Really? Uh, in fact, about six months ago, there was uh, a circle up we did with uh, my radicals. We, we co-founded this organization. Cool. And uh, we were all doing a checkout, right, instead of a check-in. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I encouraged everyone to take something they have a regret and to throw it in the fire. So we had this symbolic fire in the middle of the room. Nice. And when it came to me, what all that could come up with, and I got all swelled up with yeah, tears, sure. was this idea that I don't think I told my dad I loved him enough. Yeah, it just sits heavily on you, right? Well, it does, and I, you know, I was just British. You know, I don't know about East Coast. It's just very British. No one does that. But I will say, I have a five-year-old little boy, and it's a love fest. We're like, love it. I love you. I mean, literally, my kid, because our um, our rooms are in ear distance apart down the corridor, and he would go, Dada, I love you. 
That's the, it's the greatest thing. He's been doing that since he was three. Yeah. So we do a lot of that, and it's really sweet. And it's amazing how he came in. A lot of credit to his mom, too. But he came in very expressive, very affectionate. And it's kind of like uh, I'm getting to... I'm getting to um, have with him what I didn't have with my dad. Even though there was undeniable love between me and my dad, no question. But there's something about expressing it. And he does it so organically and naturally. It's just, it's rad to me. It's not like he was taught. It's not like we say to him, say, I love you. He did it spontaneously. He's done it ever since. It's really a trip. Why do you think that is the case? I mean, we've talked a great deal in the past about masculinity in our modern age. Do you think that you know, our parents, our fathers just weren't as open as we are. Maybe the culture was a little bit different. There was the sense of needing to be a certain way. Do you think that's breaking a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's a different look, it's a different generation. My dad would have been almost 90 today because he died at 85 and when he was 85, so he would have been 88 or something crazy. Uh, that generation that were born in the 30s, um, especially in England, Europe as well, there is, to this day, I don't think English people say I love you unless they come to L.A. and get ingratiated, you know, integrated into this culture. So, yes, I, I would say it's generational. I would say it's cultural. Um, it's just not it's not what's done in England. People don't go around saying I love you. They barely say have a nice day. They say I love you, actually. So, yeah. I, I, is this I, the same with both men and women or is it predominantly yeah. men? No, 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 totally same with women. There's, okay. no, there's no mummies saying I love you either. None of that. I mean, look, my, my sisters and I, we all moved to L.A. My sisters are three and six years older than me. We all moved here in 83, 1983. We've been here a long time. They're both, you know, married, lots of kids. And we always, yeah, and my sisters tell their, their kids and their husbands and their friends, I love you, I love you, I love you. And, we, and we, we kind of marvel at how, I think, only actually when, um, I think when they started to have kids and my parents came out from England and as grandkids, they started to say, I love you. Because they'd seen it modelled by their own kids who'd been in the States a long time. My parents didn't move here until many years later. So I think it's just the modelling. I mean, that's how we learn it. It's like, again, the irony is I did not model to my son, I love you. He modelled it to me, honestly. I know, that's the, I mean, that's, it's interesting. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, I kind of grew up in that environment too. My parents were from Europe, yeah. very loving home, but yeah. that wasn't something we expressed to right. ourselves quite often, even with my brothers, we didn't grow up expressing that to ourselves. Right. And it wasn't even till I had girls. I have, you know, my son's 25 now, and he didn't get the benefit of the I love you, I love you as much as my girls. Yeah. They are the ones, like you said, who taught me to be soft. And I think also when I moved from New York to L.A., things changed for me too. Sure. So, totally. so what I'm hearing is there are some cultural elements to yeah. how... We define our ability to be intimate with family, with each other, to be open. Yeah. And is is it harder for men, you think, than it is for women? As a therapist in your experience. No, I don't think anymore. I think, yes, that was true. I don't think anymore. I think, um, I think modeling is modeling. Like one of the things, as you know, being a parent is that kids mimic everything. Much to our chagrin. They imitate, they mimic. And so if it's... If the love and the affection is modeled to them, they're going to express it. And it was not modeled to, I mean, my grandparents were in the freaking Victorian age. You know what I mean? It was like pretty uptight and rigid. So what was modeled was stiff upper lip. That's what was modeled. And so I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily, I mean, let's say it this way, as we kind of segue into masculinity, I think there's a, um, a mature 
masculine approach. Um, there's an aspect of masculinity that has to do with freely expressing oneself without inhibition, I would say, as men. And, you know, as you know and experience, men with men, we're incredibly emotional and loving and affectionate and expressive, you know, and we love, it's more than just a slap on the back. I'm not talking about a testosterific macho slap on the back. I'm talking about men who are very at ease bringing, coming from the heart. And when you come from the heart, you express real feelings and a lot of the feelings are love. And it's easy to express and tell someone as a man how you feel. So I think there are plenty of men that don't get the modeling. I don't think it's because they're men. I think if the modeling is there, boys and girls do it the same. I don't think it's that different. So how do, how do we get to a place where both men and women adopt more of an openness? I mean, what, what I'm hearing is there's still a bit of a sense of uh, privacy or shame or, or, or whatever it is that's causing people to not just be open and be themselves. Yeah. Yet we see it modeled in the media. We see it modeled amongst uh, celebrities who are just openly themselves, yeah. right? And pass judgment on it or not. Yeah. The fact is they're more free than most people because they're just being themselves. And, yeah. and what I've noticed is a lot of times this idea of being yourself comes with like almost an attitude like – Fuck you, I'm going to be myself. More of a appreciation for having gratitude for who we are. And so there's, a, there's, a, there's this desire to express yourself, be yourself, 100% authentic. But I'm not sure it's happening in a way that's genuinely from a place of love. I think some of it is still coming from a place of anger because I can't believe I can't just be accepted the way I am. Have you noticed that or is it just something I've noticed? Or no, maybe I, that's been my uh, my own journey in this process. I, I would still say that's a bit cultural. I think, uh, you know, like, the, like the, the, the fuck you macho thing has to do with immaturity, right? So I, I would come back to, there's two terms I would use, uh, integrated and unintegrated, mature and immature. And I would use them in interchangeably. A, a mature masculine in a man that's integrated, the masculinity has to do with... What, what's misunderstood is mature masculine is actually a very gentle quality. It's about containment. It's creating a very safe space, both for men and women, but it's about a gentle, kind, loving, compassionate space. That's very masculine. An immature masculine is all the aggressive, competitive, alpha, territorial, all that crap, which people associate is the only version of masculine that exists. But that's not masculine. That's immature masculine. Like warriors and rah-rah and fuck you and all that shit is not very mature. It's very intense. It's very masculine. But it's not necessarily what makes people feel safe. You know what I mean? It may be on the front lines, kill a bunch of people, but that's not clearly safety. When you look at contrast with the feminine... The mature feminine is actually very intense and fierce, very strong. strong. Strong feminine is really powerful. It's like fire that needs to be contained by the masculine. Immature, unintegrated feminine is like victim, damsel in distress, wreck. <laughs> Interesting. So you're describing traits that have really nothing to do with men or women. That's right. You could be energy. a woman yeah, and embody, embody that masculine yes. energy. 100%. And you could be a man and embody... The unintegrated feminine energy, because we or the see it a lot, especially 100%. here in LA. I mean, 100%. you see it all the time. Well, it's not. You could. That's what it is. Men have both masculine and feminine energy within them. Some integrated, some not, and vice versa, of course. So when you say integrated, are you talking about both the male and the fem female energies integrated? Yeah. yeah. So what is that? No, like? no, no. I don't mean male-female. No. Masculine and feminine is not male-female. Masculine and feminine has to do with the energies and characteristics and qualities, not, not sex. 
No, I'm, that's what I'm, yeah. I'm saying. As a man or a woman, yes. being an both. integrated woman yes. is integrating both the female and yes, having sorry. that yin Feminine and balance. And yes. Okay. Yes, but there, there, for example, a woman who's a bit butch and a bit tough and not really able to really embody her femininity is going to be competitive. She can have a lot of the masculine qualities that may not serve her as a woman. In, well, in business, by the way, but probably not in a bedroom. Or I shouldn't say that. Not in a romantic <laughs> relationship. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the ability for a woman to soften and be in, be in her, let's call it divine feminine, that's a very specific, you know, it's sensual, it's her owning. One of the, I think, sexiest qualities in a woman is when she owns fully her femininity. She owns it. She doesn't apologize for it. She's not embarrassed by it. She's not ashamed of it. She's not having to put out that like she's a slut. She's not having to overdo it. I call it leading with vagina. She's not leading with vagina. She's concealing a lot of that. That to me is, I mean, personally, that's sexy. A woman who conceals herself, I'm not talking about being frumpy, but doesn't lead with tits and ass and vagina, it's more sexy because it means she's owning it. You know how we talk about, in, in a masculine sense, the true sense of a samurai is never needing to pull the, short, the sword out of the sheath. Mm. It's just the knowledge of that power on his hip is enough as opposed to I'm the amazing, I'm so powerful, I'm no, that's very immature masculine. I need to prove to you how much I know as opposed to the conviction of my strength is my knowledge. I don't have to prove anything to you. That's a concealed masculine, using more terminology here. And, the, and, and when, it's, when it's revealed, it's like in your face. To me, it's not that sexy. A woman who shoves it in your face, it's not that sexy. Interesting. I don't think. I, I'm thinking definitely onto something here. So if I heard correctly, uh, women by nature, the feminine by nature, is a power. It's a powerhouse. Yes, it, big It's time. a force of like to be reckoned, you know, even in the animal world. Not just the, that. The I lioness mean, goes and hunts, right? Were you here for the winds last night? <laughs> the, the what? The winds? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's Mother Nature. That's right. a ferocious Ferocious, fierce. right. Mother Nature, when it gets, when nothing that's stops feminine, dude. That's nature. feminine. Okay, but owning that energy is also about being sensual and about, yes. you know, something that a man can't really bring forward but a woman has that power yeah. and that makes a all-around incredibly powerful woman yeah a lot of women have issues with a sense of shame of letting that out right, right. i mean there was the super bowl you had these two powerhouse <laughs> right. women that were just just fucking rocked it yeah and they were like 50 years old and i don't know what the other what uh secure was but yeah. but i mean and they had these were just like powerhouse women who owned it and had a lot of sensuality, but they were very strong. And, you know, you had both sides place judgment on it. And then there were those who were like, wow, I want to be like that. Yeah. What does that look like for a man? To own his power? Yes. I, I, oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I would say that the best way to answer that is how women would mirror it to men. And having, been work, having worked with men and women in so many different group processes... What a lot of women will uh, reflect back to men about their, the, what's powerful about them is their sense of being this really strong container that doesn't insert their need to make it about them. So it's holding space. That's powerful. A man who can be like just a centurion warrior who just stands there and can hold it, that's powerful for a woman without interfering, without having to like, it's like he, he knows his power. I mean, it's very similar to the feminine, it's just a different quality, but. It's the, the, the knowledge, the knowing what your strength is, is just holding it. It's just being there. Like we do for each other in men's circles. What do we do? We just hold space. We don't run around. We don't get in our heads. We don't prove. We don't rah-rah. We don't yell and scream. We just hold space. That's powerful. Not to say women don't hold space. 
But what I can tell you in witnessing thousands of women acknowledge what helped them in a group process was a man who just was able to make them feel safe. And he did that by not being in the way, not making it about him, actually. Okay. So what are some tips for a man who struggles with this or a woman who struggles with this? Well, How can they... Yeah. With like, what? Struggle oh, well, let's what? say could be... Let's talk about a woman, very powerful woman, yeah. successful in business, yeah. go-getter, gets it done, yeah. struggling with relationships. Struggling because... Her, well, I, I She doesn't know how to turn it off, right? right? It's constantly to, on. She would say she's too masculine. She would even say I'm too masculine. But that's not the case. Well, no, it, it can be. It, it can be. It means that what she's not allowing for... Look, what it means really for a woman, because I have a lot of these very powerful CEO-type women as clients, and... It serves them very well in business, it does, but where it doesn't serve them is where usually it's an overcompensation because what kind of a man is going to be drawn to as a partner, a woman who's who's the go-getter wearing the pants in the relationship? He's going to probably be a little bit tentative. A man who owns his masculinity is going to create an energy where the woman cannot have to do that in the relationship. She's going to instinctively feel she can let go. She doesn't have to be the fucking CEO or hide behind that. So she can soften. It's just about softening. What is softening? Trust, allowing, surrendering. That's not easy for control freaks. And a lot of the masculine is control and dictatorship. Not necessarily the mature, right? But that competitive alpha, that stuff. And there's a, there's a place for it. There's a place for it in business. There's a place for it on the competitive field. But just to clarify, though. So a woman shouldn't have to change who she is, for example, to use those qualities in yeah. a work life. But what you're suggesting is when you come home, yeah. step into that. Yeah. Feminine role. I think so. Yeah, in order sure. to create the right space for that balance to exist. Yeah. Now, for that to be effective, yes. a man also has to show up yeah, he can't be a certain way, right? He can't right? be all intimidated by a strong woman. Right. He has to know how to hold it so that she can instinctively let the guard down and be soft and feminine. Absolutely. Melt. He needs to be able to have a certain way of being that helps her melt. Melting at work is not going to work for her. That's fine. So it's not about who she is. It's about knowing... That, that, that we suit up for different ways of being. Okay, so here's the thing. A lot of men have observed this shift, right? It used to be, you know, based on these uh, roles that both men and women played. Whether they're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. But the point was, there's been a shift where these women are very powerful, showing up, and some of these men don't know how to react. So they just kind of play the softer, weaker yeah. side because they think that's what they need to play right, in order to fit in. Sleep, but that, that, doesn't that doesn't work either. Doesn't work. I'll tell you what doesn't work. Because look, here's another thing. and I mean, Let me see if we can tie this in. It's a, it's a different concept here. But one of the things that I educate both men and women about is how men and women get attached emotionally differently. The way a man gets attached emotionally is physical. Once he's sexual with a woman, he's in. He's hooked. It's a very emotional thing for him. Not to say women are not emotional around sex, of course they are. But for a woman, and if you're a woman listening to this, tell me if I'm wrong. The way a woman creates an attachment is by wondering and fantasizing about him. So the more mysterious and elusive a man is, the more intrigued and more connected a woman becomes. Now, I'm not saying this is about a man being a dick and being detached and cold and aloof and playing games. I'm talking about him specifically, intentionally concealing and holding back. Not, not being needy, not wearing his heart on his sleeve and confessing everything. Give her an opportunity to wonder about him. Be mysterious. Have a life that you're busy doing so she can 
she can wonder about what you're up to because that wondering creates a lot of um, attachment emotionally. Does that make sense? Again, I'm not saying women don't get attached emotionally, physically. Of course they do. We both do. But for men, it's less wondering, more in the experience. For women, it's very much about wondering. So the mistake of needy men is thinking a man, a woman wants to hear him talk about his feelings. She's like, yeah, but I got nothing to work with here. <laughs> He's just being needy. And it's not that attractive. Like, like I can't tell you how many, because I do so much dating, you know, counseling and coaching and mentoring, let's call it, where I hear horror stories of first dates. It's usually a man that doesn't shut up the whole day, doesn't even ask her one question, just spills his guts. And she's like, dude, it's so like, I, I have nothing to work with here. You've just laid everything out. The best way a man can be on a date Ask a bunch of questions and just pull back and just listen. Why do you think women love men who listen? Because it causes them to wonder about what's going on with him. And he also needs to articulate his own, you know, what's going on with him too. But, but just hold back. Pull it back. Concealment. It's not about withholding and cold. I'm going to make this distinction. It's time releasing. Little bits at a time. Because it's a balance, I would think, yeah, right? Because I, I often hear... Um, you know, my wife's got single girlfriends who will turn around and say, this guy hasn't called me in like three days, right? That's like stretching that mysteriousness yeah. to the point where... Yeah, but it does work in terms of the... I'm, I'm, this is not about playing games, by the way. But right. notice, even though that's probably you're bordering on a, a man who thinks he knows what he's doing because he's being elusive, but notice the hook. Notice it does create a hook. Right, it does actually create a hook. I'm just saying to do it in a way that's not playing games of being a dickhead, right. just blowing off a woman and making her feel like you don't care, I'm saying don't throw everything at a woman. There's a misconception that I'm going to show you how able I am to express myself and tell you, and it's like, that's too much. It's needy. Right. And there's a lack of awareness. But when I talk about a man who knows who he is, I also use the quality about a man being one or two steps ahead of a, as a woman, from one or two steps ahead of a woman. And what I mean by that is he's so clear about understanding women that he knows how to anticipate what it is that she needs to feel both curious, intrigued, and safe without her having to tell him. He's so paying attention that he's able to be keeping her on her toes in a, in a dance, in an intimate dance, in a, in a positive way, not in a playing games competitive way. All right, so let's talk about it in terms that a lot of men can relate to. Men, most men relate to the idea of being of service. It's natural for us to be of service. Sure. Right? Yep. So are you suggesting the way a man goes about a relationship should be the same way? Be of service to the woman. Anticipate her needs. Yeah. Being of service also means not giving everything away. Don't express all your feelings so openly. Don't be needy. Yeah, but I would also be careful about making about being of service because a man also needs to learn how to receive. And men have a really hard time receiving. So I, I wouldn't make it about his job is to be of service to the woman. I think there's a degree of that because we're very purpose-driven. But I also think that can be a way to hide out. And I think for men, allowing the love in from a woman and her gestures, and that's real intimacy, and letting that happen is really important. Because men get to love to run around doing shit, and they also need to learn how to create the opportunity for a woman who wants to connect with him, who wants to acknowledge him to take that in. That one, one of the things, in, and you've seen it in men's circles, that I think is great, um, is the is the opportunity to really acknowledge what it is you really admire about each other, both you know men and women in a relationship. We do that with men all the time. But it's really helpful to know what is it you really love about me? What is it that really intrigued you on that first date? Those kinds of things, it's really helpful to receive the acknowledgement. 
None of it's about stroking egos, by the way. It's about learning how to open your heart and take something in. Because we, as men, we love to deflect. We're just not used to it. It's kind of what we're saying at the very beginning about a man saying, I love you, a father saying, I love you. We don't know how to take that in. Unless from the get-go, it's modeled to us, and then it's natural. Sounds like a lot of work, Jamie. No, it's not. It's easy. <laughs> it's easy. You just got to take a risk. It's a lot of risk because being vulnerable is, you know, I, I've had an experience this recently, which is when, when, when you're in a partnership or you're in a in burgeoning relationship or dating or something, and you're the one who's feeling very um, vulnerable, but your partner or potential partner is held back, it's, it's painful. It's very uncomfortable. It's very scary when you feel like you're the only one who's putting it out there. When you're both totally in, it's the greatest feeling in the world. It's like magic that you're both completely hearts burst open. So there's this dance of people get scared. What I've noticed, and I'm sure you know this, is that when we get vulnerable, uh, people's association of vulnerability is not always positive. It's oftentimes uh, scary, um, susceptible to danger, being ripped apart in a lion's den. You know, it's like, it's not always, very rarely is vulnerable something that people associate as a positive, beautiful experience. It's usually, uh-oh, I'm at risk or danger to get killed or betrayed or hurt. And so we have to reframe vulnerability as only positive because you have to be discerning about not opening yourself to someone who's dangerous. So if you can only, if you can learn how to recognize the person I'm with is someone who's appropriate to open myself to, then you're going to get this beautiful filling up of vulnerability. And if you can match it together with a little circuitry, you're in great shape. doesn't always line up. And there's aspects of vulnerability where it's really, I think it's a beautiful thing. When we feel, we feel. We feel it all. We feel passion. We feel pain. We feel sadness. We feel remorse. We feel nostalgia. It's awesome. You don't get to pick and choose it. I've, I'm, I've been so blown open vulnerably in the last several months that I, I drive around and you know, I can cry frequently. Which, but but I'm, I love it. I love that I'm freed up to have been cracked open to feel. You know, it's not about being sad and depressed. It's just you're feeling full. You're feeling a lot. You can feel the anger intensely. You can feel the, um, the yearning intensely. It's a beautiful thing. You feel the anxiety, all of it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I talk a great deal about being vulnerable, specifically even as a leader, um, to powerfully give permission for other people to do the same, which yeah. actually creates a lot of safety between mm -hmm. the two individuals. If I'm vulnerable, then I give you permission to be vulnerable, which allows you to just and, and we're back to what we said feel safe. You need to model it. It's, like, yeah. it's more than permission. Most people, I know we, we use that expression most people a lot, but a lot of people just don't know what it looks like or sounds like or feels like to do it. So it's, it's imperative, like life coaching, mentoring, whatever you want to call it, leading, is about modeling. So much of what I do in these 30 years with couples is modeling to them how to say something in a way that they've got no freaking idea how to say it, in a way that's going to land. They say it, but no one's freaking taking that in. So I have to model to them the tone, the gesture from the heart. A lot of people just don't. They have not seen it. And one of the first questions I always used to do this, I don't so much anymore, when I work with new couples, I'd ask them, tell me a good example of a great relationship that you were inspired by. <laughs> I usually have no one. There's there maybe one couple, if that, most couples who are really dysfunctional, especially not their parents, they don't have one example of a couple who they believe are still having sex, not cheating on each other, don't hate each other, they're actually having fun. You know, you'll be amazed how little template and modeling there is out there for people. So in many ways, we have to show them what it could be. And then when you dig in, hopefully what happens over time is you start realizing there are great couples out there who are 
great examples of they've done the hard work and they've pushed through stuff and there are different stages and they love to share the wisdom of what it was like at the beginning and how they got there and some of the knockdown drag out fights. It's really it's really very reassuring to know both of us, as you say, as vulnerable leaders to share our stories, but to have couples learn and witness from other couples. It's one of the greatest things. I love that you used we're coming up on time, but I love that you used it's a dance. Yeah. So if you're a man or a woman trying to improve your relationships, go take a dance lesson with Jamie. How do people get in touch with you? Anytime. Uh, yeah, we'll do a little chat chat. So uh, you can find me on my website. It's jamiegreen.com. It's J-A-M-I-E-G-R-E-E-N-E, jamiegreen.com. You can also uh, email me at jamie at jamiegreen.com. I'm all over the place. Just Google me and you'll find me. That's great. Well, uh, you heard it here. It's a dance. You've got to play it right in order to get the balance and excitement and, and the blissfulness that we all desire. Yeah, Jamie. And, and I would just say it's not always the women that lead or the men that lead. Part of the dance is knowing how to instinctively trade off back and forth, back and forth. I think that's where people struggle with the most is knowing who, who leads, who doesn't lead it. And to me, it's about how about just sharing yeah, just feel into it. The outcome, you know, just sharing that you responsibility. Don't have an agenda. Feel into it. It's right. Not, you know, da- whatever da- feels natural for you. Yeah, but also pay attention to your partner. Know when it's time to pick up the slack. Like any great partnership, you know, th- there's a give and take. Someone's down. Someone's sick. Someone's having a rough time. We step in. We pick up the slack, and then we trade off. That when when it when it's mutual, you're not going to feel resentful and keeping score. And like it's always me. I see that all the time. This keeping score business is because it's not balanced. That there's a constant throwing the ball back and forth. Well, I think uh, I think you said something interesting about the keeping score. That's tied to codependency. You're expecting the other person to fulfill your, or you know, fill the gaps that you personally have. What I've heard is a lot of personal work. You know, you've got to know how you need to show up. It's not about how the other person shows up. You need to know how you show up and how you model how you show up models how you want the other person to interact with you. Sure. So you are in more control than. The victim that says, oh, I'm in a bad relationship because she's like this or because he's like that versus, well, maybe I'm not modeling the right behavior. Maybe I'm not dancing this thing the way I should be dancing it. Yeah, Yeah, and maybe there's a few things for me to learn from my partner. I think that's really important too is that we don't, you know, I have couples married 20, 30, 40 years that I've seen. You don't stop growing. I mean, the whole idea is we get really complacent and really stagnant pretty quick. You know how great that we can keep learning from each other, and that's why I go back to there's something sometimes when you double date, right? You go out with another couple or two, you get sparked by their energy. Sometimes just sitting with the same partner forever can get old because we kind of like you know we've learned all our moves, we got it all down, and there's nothing new. But when you're with other other mirrors that reflect back, and you watch their dynamics, it's really fun. I've I've always loved having little dinner parties where there's like two, three, four couples or just going out because you you really get a lot of juice. You know, it's great to share war stories. It's just fun. I mean, it's, it's community. So go out with another sexy couple or be the sexy couple that they would model. Yeah, go dance together. <laughs> Jamie, it's been great to have you. Thanks for joining me. It's good to see you again. Thanks, man. Thanks everyone for joining us and until next time.